This evening I would like to speak of the journey of the heart. The journey of the human heart is the journey of life which we find ourselves engaged in when we seek to live consciously, when we seek to live a spiritual life. And we see that it is a journey born and founded on love and guided by wisdom. It is love that moves us to seek the end of of suffering, the end of unsatisfactoriness, to seek freedom. And it is wisdom that shows us how. In our practice, we, we come to recognize that Simple attention reveals to us where we hold on and the pain of that holding. And wisdom suggests to us that we might let go. And yet it sometimes takes a little more than just recognizing that need to let go. Sometimes it also takes from us a degree of faith and trust that actually allows us to let go, allows in that letting go for our heart to move on its journey. And in our journeys we do at times encounter a sense of limitation, a sense of places that we feel we are unable to travel or to enter. And we can see that we feel threatened or challenged by places in our lives or our hearts where we have experienced pain in the past or where we find that they are unfamiliar and somehow threatening in their unknown and uncontrollability. And our practice, our journey asks us to trust to trust in our capacity, the capacity of our heart to be with and to open to whatever we have met in our past and to whatever we meet in the present. To trust that we can in fact do this, that this is possible for us. That although pain is indeed inevitable and at times we will be hurt in our lives, This does not mean that inevitably and inescapably we are harmed by that meeting. It is only harm. We are only actually left with a permanent effect from the experience of pain. When we feel that we cannot or we will not learn from and open to that experience. And coming to understand that the process of learning is often born of bringing attention to where there is difficulty and challenge and pain in our lives, in our hearts, born of the past or the present. When we start to see that perhaps the challenges of our life are in fact the vehicle of our growth, that we would not be here in this place looking 
for deeper understanding, wishing and seeking for a greater capacity of being, were it not for those times and those places that have pointed out to us the limitation in our capacity to meet the difficult and the challenging. And though at times in the past we may have been overwhelmed and felt the need to close down or turn away, in the spacious awareness that we cultivate, in the stillness of heart and mind that we connect with through our practice, we start to, we start to sense that in fact we do not need to carry that past as a weight upon our shoulders. We do not need to experience it as a shadow over our heart that limits what is possible for us, that holds us back or weighs us down. We find that we can actually travel more lightly through our willingness to address rather consciously and very carefully and gently those places where we feel bound and limited, where we feel in fear of that which has hurt us in the past, which we fear may hurt us in the present or the future. And we find over time as we explore that we can actually trust ourselves. We can trust ourselves to see and to recognize what in fact serves us in this life and in our way of living. We can see that our our being, our heart comes to recognize what serves our welfare and the welfare of others and equally to recognize that which undermines or takes away from it or obstructs a capacity for connection, for presence, for richness and for joy in our lives. This is what we call discriminating wisdom. The understanding that recognizes the pathways that serve us and recognizes those which do not. And we find also as we practice, as we move on this journey, through simply taking at times a small and yet challenging step into a place that is unknown into a place that presents to us as threatening in some way and finding that in fact we can enter that place with balance, not always with ease, but ultimately with a sense of possibility. And that we develop in that a trust and a courage of heart that allows the discriminating wisdom that we find within us that allows what that suggests to us as our direction, as our possibility to actually be the lamp that guides us on our way. So often we might see the direction that we feel we need to travel and yet feel in some way compelled or restrained to go in another direction because we haven't yet learnt or studied or deeply connected with that trust and that courage in our own discriminating wisdom, in our own capacity to be wise, born of our experience. And it is in fact our experience which is our most profound teacher, 
which offers us the lessons which we can rely on, which are not based on faith or belief, but on the truth of our own experience. And the Buddha said, one of the last things he said as he lay dying, was the injunction to his followers to practice, to practice carefully and with clarity. And he said, be a light unto yourselves, to allow your own wisdom to shine forth, to guide, to light your path, is to listen to the wisdom of your own experience, to honour and to trust it. There's a poem by Mary Oliver, The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop, you knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through, through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognised as your own, which kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Our journey, the journey of our heart, is an inner path, an inner exploration. And in it we meet many voices, many pulls and many pushes. And as we come to explore this inner territory, the territory of our heart, we come to understand those voices that we can listen to and rely on. And those those voices that are born of a past, born of fear, of craving, that we do not need and do not wish to give authority in our life any longer. And we come to trust the inner vision that we find ourselves in contact with, the vision of possibility, the vision of our heart, in its seeking, It's seeking for peace, seeking for freedom, seeking truth, whatever and however we might conceive it. The journey is the same. And we can see that in some ways we often conceive the journey of our life in a rather linear manner. We think of starting at A and somehow moving on to B and then C 
and we expect at some point we'll come to the end of the alphabet or some other destination. And in certain ways there's an accuracy to this. Insofar there is a path of cultivation, of development, of growth in a step-by-step way as we deepen, as we strengthen, as we connect and cultivate qualities of heart and mind as we are and have been doing here. Qualities of mindfulness, connectedness, inquiry, gentleness, patience, perseverance. We connect with them, we develop them in a way which could be seen to be moving from A to B to C. Sometimes going back to B for a while and then hopefully forward again. But that's not the only level and the only way which we can understand the journey of our heart. We we sometimes get a little caught up and that is the only way to understand what is happening. And it tends to show itself and express itself in the way we tend to relate in terms of time. In terms of locating a destination or a greater meaning in our life at some time and some place in the future. It's so interesting to really look at ourselves, to watch our mind and to see how much store, how much hope, and equally at times of course fear, but certainly how much hope we set in the future, in that somewhere, sometime, someplace, we will arrive at that which we seek for. And this the sense of a movement in time that we are involved in, certainly our bodies are changing as time passes. But that's not the only dimension of reality. But the one that seems to be the one we're most familiar with in our ordinary mind. And had an interesting and rather sweet experience, I guess it was um, about three years ago, two, three years ago now, when I was teaching a retreat in America actually with Christina and another friend and at the Insight Meditation Society. And the... Uh, there was a young girl there, I think about three years old at the time. Her name was Kiko. And she was the daughter of um, one of the, the administrators there. And Kiko is a very sweet, bright, beautiful child who I had just a little chance to, to observe and interact with. And one day at lunchtime, she was running off and doing something as little children will, then running back to her father and saying, What is next? What is next? And he would, her father Brock would suggest something she could do and she'd go off and do it. And he said, you know, she always says that. She's always wanting to know what is next. And I thought, this is rather sweet. But she came back and she was saying, what is next? So I said, Kiko, what is now? And she stopped and she said, almost straight away, nothing. I said, are you sure, Kiko? What is now? And she thought a bit further. Um, she's a three-year-old, and it's really beautiful. Um, just this question somehow went in. And she, oh, well, actually I was skipping, and it was really fun. And then, a moment later, what is next? <laughs> and it's somehow the, the innocence of young children showed to us perhaps what our own mind does so easily. 
we dismiss what is now in favor of some sense of something else in the future. And yet, by the time we get to the sort of ripe old adulthood that we find ourselves in, we've usually become a little bit more subtle about than that. We're not quite so transparent. But, you know, we can chuckle at the story and we might have to acknowledge that we're equally chuckling at the tendency of our own minds to take us forward in that way, to fail to acknowledge what is actually here, to fail to deeply honour and be profoundly interested in what is right now. The journey of the heart, the deeper path that we seek, that we follow, is a journey of turning inwards, a journey of not moving to some other location or destination, but turning inwards to see and to recognize what lies at the heart of every moment and of every experience. To recognize, to discover for ourselves what is and what has always been true. And we start off in our life very much seeking for meaning, for satisfaction in the world of experience. We've talked quite some already about how at times that just seems to not work. We start to notice that it's not actually getting anywhere. And we might even come to a point where we're incredibly weary of it. At one level we find ourselves so attracted to the world, to all the things that it offers us, all the possibilities of what we could do, where we could go, who we could be, what we could attain, And yet there's other times when we just feel so tired of it. We want a break. Sometimes we kind of just want to escape. And there's that, you know, rather amusing uh, button you can buy to put on your collar or your shirt. You know, stop the world. I want to get off. You know, sometimes we really have a sense of what that feels like. I've had enough. And yet, for all that, sometimes we find in our meditation or our life that there isn't so much of all of that going on. We might find ourselves entering a place of some stillness, some quiet. And you know, we could have spent the first six days of the retreat thinking, oh, when my mind just slows down, if it's just quiet for even five minutes, I'll be so grateful, I'll be so happy. And then, you know, we've pretty much given up on it by day seven. We thought, okay, that's probably not going to happen. And somewhere out of the blue, It appears, suddenly, we're still. And at first it's, ah, great. And then, hmm, surely there's a bit more to it than this. Kind of boring, really. (laughs) Or even, well, I don't know if I like it. And we can easily find ourselves, at the same time as we are drawn to that absence, or that stillness, or that, in a way, relief from all the activity and the busyness. At another level, we find that we're not quite comfortable there because it's not offering us all that much. It's not offering very much to our ego. And not only is it offering us very little, but actually we suddenly realize that in the absence of all that activity and all those things to do, there's nothing to tell us who we are. There's nothing to tell us that we're okay. 
and we're kind of swimming or floating in a space that doesn't seem to have any ground to rest on. And it doesn't take very long before we find something to do to fill that space up, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's thinking how great it was while we were there and how good it will be the next time and what we're going to do to get there, so long as we don't actually have to stay there too long. (laughs) And this is something of a dilemma for us because it seems all too often we're not comfortable in the world of activity and busyness and experience and nor yet do we find it easy to be at peace in the absence of all of that. And if we look a little more deeply at that condition, what we find underneath it, what seems to be there in either situation, is a sense of something missing, a certain restlessness of our inner being, a certain inability to simply abide because it seems that there is something lacking, something missing, something incomplete that we somehow need to find, we need to add or we need to bring into the situation, into our own being in order to feel whole, in order to feel at peace. And we look for that in so many directions. But so rarely do we look in the right direction. Last year, when I was um, living in a friend's house for a few months with my wife, Catherine, I was washing the dishes one evening, as one does, and uh, the phone went. So I picked up the telephone, walked over to the telephone, picked it up and was speaking on the phone to a friend. I think it was probably about some guy house business which seems to occupy a lot of phone calls. Um, And as I was just talking, I just was, as I tend to do, um, sort of fiddling, fidgeting with my wedding ring. But this time I put my hand to the the finger and it wasn't there. And I, I could just feel that indentation where it usually is and it wasn't there. So I called out, Catherine, don't tip the dishwater out. Um, and finished the phone call and went back and looked through the dishwater. No sign of it. We started looking through the house. Where could it be? And like, you know, I was really concerned. And then after we'd been doing this for five, maybe even ten minutes, Catherine looked to me and she said, the other hand. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, it's gone. So it was, it was there all along. And yet somehow the mind had fixated on thinking it was missing from here. And again, this is a true story. Um, we see sometimes what our mind does in such situations. We're convinced that something is missing. It's not where we're looking for it. And yet somehow... We look everywhere else apart from perhaps the most obvious place. So our practice asks us to not look outside our experience, to not look beyond what is here and now, but to examine. Examine this experience of life, of activity, of a flow of sensation and experience that seems so attractive, so compelling, that it 
kind of is what grabs our attention most of the time. And we see when we look that there's an element of 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 movement, of activity in each moment, and yet there's equally an element of stillness and of absence. There's like a foreground and a backdrop to each moment that we find ourselves in. Just as when we look at the sky, and if it's a clear blue day, and they do happen now and then, I'm told, one looks and sees a small cloud in the sky, what do we notice? We notice the cloud moving in the sky. And yet we only see the cloud moving in the sky because of the backdrop of blue behind it. We look in the night sky and what we notice is these constellations and these stars and the moon, so bright and beautiful sometimes. And yet we don't necessarily notice the blackness which is there, which is what actually reveals the stars, without which we wouldn't notice them at all. And that backdrop is still, although the stars seem to twinkle. We've probably all been to quite a few movies in our time, to the theatre, to see a, a film. And you know what's actually going on there? It's a bunch of colours moving around on a blank white screen. And yet what we see is a story that seems so real. We see these colours moving and doing things and we interpret them, we give them so much meaning that in fact we want to call out to one colour, be careful of the other colour. <laughs> or we feel so moved when one colour seems to get really close to the other colour. <laughs> and we forget that there's this white screen behind it, we don't see that. But without the white screen none of the colour would appear. And you know, we're so enthralled and entranced by those movies. But imagine what it would be like if every two minutes suddenly a blank white screen appeared and then it continued on a few minutes later. We probably wouldn't really enjoy the movie. Now interestingly, meditation opens for us in the movie of our mind and of our life windows where we start to perhaps see behind the colours of what appears in our experience and we perhaps start to sense what is actually going on because as those spaces when we're simply present and we're not quite so lost in the story as they start to occur we start to actually be less caught in the story and perhaps able to notice what else is going on it's like that in the silence when we're quiet, when we're still and a sound arises, we can almost sense the way that a sound arises from the silence and dissolves back into it. And we can almost feel that the sound is merely silence taking form and energy, but not actually different in its nature from the, sil from the silence. The sound is just silence with form. And if we look at white light from which all these colours that we make up this visual world are born white light, we can't see it if it's completely white if there's the full spectrum of colour there we tend to see right through it 
And the room is actually full of light. But what we only we only see when part of it is reflected, because part of it has been absorbed. And then we see a colour. But without that white light, we couldn't see any of the colours. Similarly, when we talk in Dharma teachings of emptiness, we speak of that nature, that dimension, that reality, which is the foundation of all that we call the world of form, without which it could not be, and yet which is not separate from it. We look, we explore, we start to question our habitual ways of viewing and relating and interpreting what goes on. We start to sense, we start to see how things change, how they move. We find that in aligning the way we live with that understanding, we find that our journey becomes rather more fluid, rather more easeful, more smooth. Because we're no longer kind of battling with that way things are. But there's more to life and more to wisdom than understanding the truth of change. Important and transforming as it is. Some years ago I was... uh, attending a retreat in India which uh, I know some of you have had the opportunity to participate in in Bodhgaya the uh, small village in North India where the Buddha was enlightened over two and a half thousand years ago and I was um, practicing there at the, the monastery and I'd been the year before as well and come back and while I was practicing I'd been I guess sitting for I can't remember if it was one or two weeks. There were two ten-day retreats that I was sitting together, as some do. And uh, quite a few days into the retreat, I was really enjoying the young puppies that were there at the monastery. The monasteries are regarded as something as a sanctuary for all beings, as a place where any living creature can feel safe. And because there are few environments that are safe, certainly for small creatures such as cats and dogs and in India, um, given the, the level of poverty and hunger that is there, there would always be quite a considerable number of, of furry creatures taking refuge on the monastery. And there's a, something of a tribe of, of dogs and their puppies and the rather delightful creatures that would sort of, um, sort of play and chase each other around the, uh, the grounds as we do our walking meditation sometimes um, testing to see how good our balance is by running between our feet as we very carefully and mindfully took a small step or even uh, helping us with uh, cleaning our dishes before we'd actually finished eating if we should um, take our eye off them and rather delightful creatures I was really enjoying them feeling very connected and then it suddenly struck me I thought all these days I've been thinking these are the same puppies that were here last year and yet when one thinks, one realises that, one realises, oh, of course, that's not possible. Those puppies are now grown-up dogs. And yet something in what was happening had led me to feel that 
these were the same puppies. It's almost like puppies come and go. And not all of them lived, of course. It's hard conditions. Puppies come and go. But puppy nature is unchanging. And there's this way in which there's an expression of something of life in a puppy that one can find in a puppy in India or in England or anywhere else. And in the stillness of our practice, in the the depths of our hearts, we may start to sense, we may start to feel touched by both the truth of change and equally by the sense of that which is changeless. Our practice asks us to look, to see what is moving, what is changing, to understand that very well. And equally to look, to see what remains constant, what is unmoving, where is stillness to be found. Clearly not in the realm of experience, which by its nature of arising must pass. And that asks us then, in in exploring the stillness that embraces all movement, in being interested to understand the emptiness which underlies all forms, to let go of our preoccupation and our fascination with the changing objects of experience, for all that they have plenty to teach us about our own inner world and about the truths of the world of form and things. For all that they have so much to offer us in that realm, we are ultimately asked to let go of our fascination with them and open to the fact that the process of experiencing is happening at all. That in the simple still presence of our heart-mind and of our being, awareness reveals a flow of life. And we might just pause for a moment to allow ourselves to be open to what that might suggest, to what that might be speaking to us, this process of life being revealed. A great Buddhist master once said, You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. To live in illusion is to be transfixed by the world of appearance. 
to see the world of form as the totality of reality. It's not to deny that it has its significance and its place, but not to stop there in our exploration. To see the appearance of ourself as a separate individual human being. Yes, of course, this body seems to be over here, and that body, your body, another body seems to be over there, and if I sort of do that to this one, you don't necessarily feel it over there. Certainly, there's a degree of truth in that. There's a way in which there is a unique individuality. And the ending of this body will not be the same moment or experience as the ending of another body. And yet, if we really look carefully to see what it is that we claim or think or believe to be who we are, there's nothing we can put our finger on. To see that you are nothing is to see that you are no thing because everything is changing, coming and go, coming and going, arising and passing. And the best you could say is that what one is is of this nature of change, is of this nature to change. But that doesn't quite seem to answer the totality of our experience. Because although we are no thing, there's no thing we can put our finger on to say this is who and what I am in an enduring way. By that very understanding, by not defining ourselves in relationship to a specific, we equally realize that we are everything. If we are not limited, if we haven't made a boundary around a particular group of conditions or experiences that we say this is what I am, then in fact we maybe start to sense our participation in the totality of life. That at its most fundamental level life is not divided into compartments. That there is a wholeness and a unity to it. And that wholeness is the, is the root of the word holy understand what is holy in life is to understand the wholeness of life and to understand our co-participation in that life in that wholeness to realize it, to make it real this is the journey of the heart this is the journey that reveals to us the truth of compassion, the naturalness of compassion as an expression of understanding that we are intimately and inseparably connected to everything that is. And that compassion is not an act born of doing something for someone else, but the natural and spontaneous response to life when we realize that we are of that which everything else is of. That all of life that we see is simply ourselves in another form. And just as the hand, when the foot is sore, just rubs the foot, it just reaches down and rubs it. It doesn't need to sort of think, well, I'll do a good deed today. 
It doesn't need to say, well, you know, I'm working on my bodhisattva vows or I'm going to be the Mother Teresa of hands and rub that foot. It just rubs it. And the foot equally doesn't say, no, no, I'm not having any of that help. I'm going to do this by myself. (laughs) It just receives that. And that process of giving and receiving is born of the fact that, in fact, although the hand has its own appearance and function, as does the foot, and they're different, that the hand is not separate from the foot. Where does the hand end and the foot begin? It doesn't. It's one being. It's one being. And in fact, after the hand has rubbed the foot, then the hand gets to rest in the pocket while the foot takes the body off to get some food. And they each have their function and their place, which might be different, and yet which is not of greater or lesser value in any way. Because the very sense and participation in that wholeness reveals the intrinsic value and perfection of everything and every so-called part of life. In that way, our understanding of interconnection, our understanding of the wholeness and the wholesomeness of life leads rather naturally to an expression of our life in which a caring and an acting for the benefit of all, for the well-being of each, is what naturally unfolds from us. And sometimes that expresses itself in caring for others. And sometimes that expresses itself in caring for our own well-being, which is of course equally important. This journey of awakening, the journey of the heart, is a journey in which ultimately we learn what it means to return home. We learn what it is to come back to where we already are. I'd just like to read from The Four Quartets by T.S. Eliot the closing passages. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown remembered gate when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning at the source of the longest river the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick, now, here, now, always. A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Our journey is a journey of return, 
to the place which we discover we cannot and have never left, to a unity with life that is conscious, that is awake, and that to re-enter or to rediscover our presence in, we are asked to let go of everything we hold on to. We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know that place for the first time. A condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. To let go of all that we hold is to discover the natural condition of complete simplicity. A simplicity which is born of oneness, which is born of dissolving the illusion of separation and which reveals that all shall be well. This profound and mystical discovery, this realization of the indivisibility of life and our participation in that, reveals to us a natural quality of freedom that is the very nature of life and living beings, and yet which embraces without effort the continuing unfoldment of the story and the journey of our lives and all the events contained therein. Can we just sit quietly for a moment or two? to listen to their heart. May all beings realize profound interconnection. May all beings discover life's freedom. <coughs> 